This week on Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture, Father Joshua Wirth talks about homosexuality. What does the church teach? What does the Bible say and why? Well, let's find out. Please note that this show was originally run in 2011. And now, here's Father Joshua Worth. The church teaching on homosexuality is that homosexual acts are a sin against chastity, against a sin against the gift of our sexuality. And if you've been listening to some of the other questions I've answered about marriage, you'll start to understand why. Because our sexuality is ordered for a certain thing, a certain purpose. Sexuality is ordered towards marriage. Marriage is ordered towards commitment, fertility, and permanence. Just as a ship is made to float on the ocean, a plane is made to float through the sky, and a rocket is designed to go into outer space. Our sexuality is designed for reproduction. So any type of sterile sexual act, if it's sterile, it's selfish. If it's selfish, it's sinful. So it's not ordered towards the proper end, the proper end being children. And so that's why you often read in the catechism and other places that the church considers homosexual acts, the acts themselves, to be objectively disordered, meaning not that it's a disease or anything like that, meaning that it's it's ordered towards reproduction, and since it's not aiming towards that, then it's objectively disordered. This comes from our understanding of that God created everything and gave everything for a purpose, And a purpose is not for selfish pleasure, right? So we have to understand that God gave us our sexuality, and that sexuality has a purpose. And to abuse that purpose in any way, whether it be through homosexual acts or sexual acts outside of marriage or adultery in marriage or even self-abuse, masturbation, All of those things are objectively disordered because they do not lead to marriage, did not lead to reproduction, which is what God gave us sexuality, the sexual reproductive act for. And we have to be careful to understand this teaching that we get this from scripture. We didn't just make this up. We get this from scripture. And if we read um, from 1 Corinthians 6, you know, a lot of people say that's only... The, the teaching against homosexuality, homosexual acts, is only in the Old Testament. That's not true. St. Paul talks about it. St. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 6, where he says, Do you not know that the unjust will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor ad- adulterers, nor boy prostitutes, nor practicing homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor robbers will inherit the kingdom of God. Tough words. Tough, tough words. 
And I'm glad St. Paul said it because I don't know if I would have the courage to say that. But because things are, God has given us a gift order towards all things, things like fornication, adultery, and practicing homosexuals are forbidden and sinful to the virtue of chastity. St. Paul is not the only one that gives us this teaching. If we look in the gospel, the gospel of Matthew again, where Jesus is answering the question about marriage, and he's given them a hard teaching and told them about the truth about marriage. And even his disciples had troubles with this teaching. He says, his disciples said to him, if that is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. Jesus answered, not all can accept this word, but only those to whom that it is granted. So what he's saying there is that there is no universal call to marriage. You know, many people say, I have the right to get married. No, there is no universal call to marriage. There is a universal call to holiness, but there is no universal call to marriage. That's why a married couple needs to discern, or sorry, a engaged couple needs to discern before they get married. God, what do you want me to do with my life? What do you want my life to look like? Do you want me to be dedicated celibate layperson, a dedicated celibate priest, or female, a dedicated celibate nun? Or do you want me to be married? And to who should I be married to? So that I can bring new life into the world and to increase the size of your church. Only God can answer that question. And only to those that he has granted marriage, called to marriage, should answer that call. And Jesus goes on to say, some are incapable of marriage. Jesus goes as far to say, some people are eunuchs. All right. Some are incapable of marriage because they were born so. Some because they were made so by others. Some because they have renounced marriage for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Whoever can accept this ought to accept it. So, when we come down to the crux of the matter, is that sexuality, sexual intimacy, is actually for a few, a very rare few, the married, those that are committed, those that are not using contraception, that are open to life, and those that are in a permanent relationship in marriage, only those few are allowed sexual intimacy because only those few can engage in sexual intimacy and not be selfish. It will be life-giving. It will be grace-filled. It will be renewing to their marriage. Anyone else, it's like drinking a tall glass of salt water. And as thirsty we may be, you cannot drink salt water without getting more and more thirsty. So that's why fornicators or those addicted to pornography or those addicted to homosexual acts is never satisfied, never fulfilled, because it's like drinking a tall glass of warm salt water, always thirsty, always hungry for more. That's why... The church says that homosexuality, the homosexual acts, are objectively disordered. They can never fulfill themselves, never fulfill their proper usage. We also get this understanding not from scripture, but from natural law. 
Natural law doesn't mean if it happens in nature, I can do it. That's not what natural law means. I know I had struggle with that too. So you actually do see same sex acts in nature, you know, whether it be between dolphins or, or dogs or something else, you often see that, but that doesn't give us permission. Cause after all, as I tell friends and family, you know, I'll, I've also seen my dog eat its own vomit, but that doesn't make it a good idea. All right. So just because it happens in nature doesn't mean that we are called to do that. It doesn't give us permission to do that. No, natural law means something entirely different. Natural law means everything in nature has a purpose. Okay? Everything has a purpose. Everything has its place. Like the bee to pollinate the flowers. And the flowers are there to give sustenance to the bees. Right? So everything has its proper order. But natural law says that something is disordered when it's out of whack when it has no way to fulfill itself it's not the reason that god gave us sexuality another example that i often use is is alcoholism alcoholism is is objectively disordered meaning we have a natural desire for liquid we have a natural desire for hydration. But what's happened inside the alcoholic is that his natural desire has now been been twisted so that it now desires not water, but alcohol. It now desires not life, but death. It's seeking its own destruction. Any type of addiction like that is no longer ordered towards life. It is now seeking its own destruction. And just like we can't say to the drug addict, to the alcoholic, well, God made you this way. God made you this way. Therefore, I'm going to let you seek your own destruction. The same way we have to say to those that we know that are homosexual, God wants you to live a fulfilled life. So we don't want you to seek out your own destruction, your own end with homosexual acts. Instead, everyone, the fornicator, the person addicted to pornography, the person addicted to homosexual acts, we're all called, gay or straight, we're all called to chastity. There's a universal call to chastity that we all must answer, even married couples. You can't use your spouse for selfish pleasure we are called to chastity to be the owners and also the protectors and also the stewards of our own body because as we've learned in that same section from first corinthians saint paul says we are a temple of the holy spirit we must act as if we are a temple of the Holy Spirit, meaning that the only person that is able to engage in sexual intimacy are the married without contraception. They're the only ones that receive grace. They're the only ones that receive living water because it is open to life, open to new life, open to fertility. And because of that, it is self-renewing. Anything else is, if it's sterile, then it's selfish then it's sinful. So we often hear the terms so-called gay marriage, that people just want rights. They want the right of marriage. 
But as uh, I've explained to you before, God created marriage and human beings have disfigured it. The government didn't create marriage. Culture didn't create marriage. Men didn't create marriage. What we have created is a hybrid of marriage. What we have created is a Frankenstein monster of marriage so that we can make it in our own image. What it is, is self-worship. Worship of our own creation. We can be like God. That's the great sin of, of the Genesis. Don't you know that you will be like God and know the difference between good and evil and this so-called right to marriage that people have created in society today? What mostly it is is the worship of ourselves, that we are now in control. We can now define what marriage is, but that is forbidden to us. The only thing government can do is honor and protect the rights that God gave us. So he gave us life. The government didn't give us the right to life. God gave us the right to life. But the government can protect that life by enacting laws to protect life against murder and to punish those that break those laws by putting them in jail so they can protect other people's lives. Correct? The same way. Government did not create marriage, but it can honor and protect marriage by the laws that it enacts. So it can give benefits to those who seek marriage or discern they are called to marriage because the government understands that the best citizens you can raise are ones that are raised by both a mother and a father. We need to take a short break right now, but don't change that dial. We'll be right back with more about homosexuality, what the church teaches with Father Joshua Wirth. We're back on Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture on Divine Mercy Radio. Father Joshua Wirth. Homosexuality, what the church teaches. The government understands that the best citizens you can raise are ones that are raised by both a mother and a father, a married mother and father, a husband and wife. Those make the best children. You're less likely to end up in jail. You're less likely to become an alcoholic. You're less likely to become addicted to drugs. You're less likely to have teenage pregnancies. All those things are less likely if there's a stable mother and father, a stable husband and wife. So that's why the government does have responsibility to protect and honor marriage, to make it entice people to lead them if they are discerned they are called to marriage, that that would be the beneficial way of living. But there is no universal right to marriage. And government can't, and because there is no universal right, they can't change God's law. The government can't change the definition of marriage. But we've already seen that happen many times. And I'm not just talking about so-called gay marriage. I'm talking about things like divorce. I'm talking about things like access to contraception, making that part of 
medical plans and people get sued if it's not part of their medical plan. Access to abortion to back up their contraception. And then common law marriage is another attack on marriage. So the homosexual community has a point. They say to the rest of the world, you have already redefined marriage. You have already redefined marriage by saying it doesn't have to be committed. You can have a common law marriage. It doesn't have to be fertile. You can have access to contraception and abortion. And um, in fact, if that's that, you can make that part of your medical plan and you can get divorced and you can do that a dozen times if you wanted to. And the government's not going to stop you. And the homosexual community says, you've changed the definition of marriage so much that what's the difference if you change it just a little bit more? What's the difference? So I'm sympathetic that ar- that argument. I'm sympathetic to the fact that the heterosexual community has changed and the culture at large has changed the definition of marriage so much that homosexuals can easily say, why can't I have that? After all, you're living an uncommitted, sterile, non-permanent relationship. How is that different than homosexual acts? How is that different than a homosexual relationship that's uncommitted, sterile, and non-permanent? So the real answer to preventing the government from changing the definition of marriage is we need to ask the government and ourselves to change the definition of marriage back. Change the definition of marriage back to what God created it to be and to honor and protect that and only that. Because let me tell you, this is something new. This is something new. We're not just expanding the definition of marriage anymore. We're not just redefining it anymore. We're deforming it. We're deforming it beyond recognition to the point where there's not going to be any going back if we go down this road. If... The government says those acts which God has called sinful, which God has called evil, as we read in the Bible, which St. Paul said, if you commit these acts, you cannot get into the kingdom of God. If the government goes ahead and says those acts are now not only legal, but honored and recognized and protected then we've gone down a road which no civilization has gone down before. There has been homosexual activity in other civilizations. There has been homosexual relationships in other civilizations. But never, never have they said, this is something we want to lift to the recognition and honor of marriage and call it marriage. Never has that happened before. Because what is the government doing? The government's saying, We're going to get rid of the two basic fundamentals of marriage, husband and wife. And we're going to get rid of those and just call it spouse one or spouse two, party one and party two. And once we go down that road and say, now we're not even, we're not even using the same blueprint that God used anymore. This is something totally new, something totally radical. Then well, it's already bad enough, but it, it opens the door wide open to anything. It leads it, especially to polygamy, if it's just party one, party two, what about party three and party four? And as we've seen, in that is, there's a push in the culture for that, as we've seen television shows that have multiple wives on it. But why is there a push for that? Because we already have polygamy, but we just have polygamy in our society, one wife at a time where we have these serial 
polygamists who just marry and divorce, marry and divorce, marry and divorce. So polygamists have said, hey, if you can do that one after another, then why can't you just do it all at the same time? Which I have to agree. We can't allow. We can't allow all this marriage and, and divorce and remarriage because it changes the definition. It deforms marriage so much that we can't honor and protect it and recognize it anymore because it's something else. It's something new entirely. The same way it can lead to polygamy, it can also lead to adult incest. I know what people are thinking. That's impossible. No one would ever accept an adult brother marrying adult sister. But think back 100 years ago. If somebody had commented, society will never accept a man marrying a man or a woman marrying a woman. It w- it's just as foreign. It was just a foreign idea to them back then, as the idea of adult incest recognized as a marriage, recognized and honored as a marriage, is to us. And a hundred years from now, that could be entirely possible. That could be entirely possible because we've changed the definition of marriage so much that who is to say? I've never heard an argument for so-called gay marriage that left excluded adult incest. Can you make one? What's an argument for gay marriage that excludes adult incest? Some people, I've heard some people say, well, what about birth defects? So, but all that, all that leaves out is heterosexual incest. You're still leaving the door open for gay, two gay brothers to get married. And I know what people are thinking. That's impossible. There's no push for that. But once we open the door that everybody's sexuality needs to be recognized and all their attractions need to be honored with the the status of marriage, then anything is possible. Anything is possible at that point. Things that we consider impossible has now become possible because we rearranged that uh, we created something new. We totally created something new. Then I think the most difficult part to talk about is the idea of a homosexual couple adopting children. And we're seeing already now in, in different states that have pass laws that say it's discrimination not to adopt place children in need with homosexual couples we've seen that they've had to shut their doors because according to biblical teaching according to teaching of sociology according to everything that we understand it would be an abuse to the child to place them in a relationship that was lacking either a mother or a father. It's not two adults that a child needs. This child has been placed up for adoption because it needs a stable home. This is what the child needs. Not, it's not an arrangement for couples to pick their kids. It's an arrangement where kids can be placed with the parents, the mother and father that they so desperately need. And some people might say, isn't it better than them being raised in the system? I know plenty of heterosexual couples that are waiting 
to adopt but can't. So I don't think it's a it's a matter of there's no way there to adopt these kids. It's that we have changed the the purpose of adoption. Just like we've changed the purpose of sexuality, we've changed the purpose of adoption in that we now think adoption is so that couples can have kids instead of the real purpose kids can have a mother and a father that's why we created adoption not so that people can go shopping for kids which i think is what it's turned into and how do i know that's been that's what's been turned into because you see homosexual couples or just not even as a couple as a single going to the doctor and saying doctor I want you to create me a child. I can't do it myself. By design, I cannot do it myself. By willful action, I cannot do it myself. But with your help, doctor, you can create for me a child. So it's almost like designer children. It's almost like, it's almost like going to the auto dealership and, and getting your custom car. Design for me a child because by design... I cannot have it myself. It's not an accident I can't have kids. My a homosexual can't have children. Their reproductive organs work fine. It's just because they now see children as just another accessory. Accessory. I mean, not all homosexuals see it that way, but there are homosexuals out there that go to the doctor and say, create for me a child, create for me somebody to love, somebody to accept me somebody for me to raise. And that's a form of child abuse because what if somebody walked into your life, you know, say you had a really great mom, a great, really great dad. Somebody walked into your life and said, I purposely deny you a mother. I purposely deny you a father. How would you take that? Wouldn't you think that's an attack on you? Don't you think you have a right to both a mother and a father? But yet, to place a child with a homosexual couple is to say to that child, you do not deserve a mother and a father. You don't deserve a mom or you don't deserve a dad. We're going to give you instead. You're going to be part of a social experiment that we're starting. You're going to have two moms or you're going to have two dads. So that's why the Catholic Church is not only opposed to so-called gay marriage, but so-called gay adoption where we cannot do that kind of abuse to a child. We cannot say to that child, you're not worthy of a mother and a father. Because make no mistake, two moms, even though they might be great people, make a horrible dad. And two dads, even though they might be great people, make a horrible mom. And there's some people out there thinking, is he attacking single parents? Is he, you know, or my my dad died or my mom died is he attacking me if your mom died or your dad died or like me your parents went through a divorce and your mom left then you know what i'm about to say is true you know that you are worse off without that person you know you are worse off and the only difference is your parents you were raised by a single parent by an accident or a mistake Unless your parents, when they got married, said, oh, we'll have kids. And then 10 years later, we're going to get divorced and then we'll raise them singly. I don't think they said that when they got married 
or unless you're parents when they got married and said, well, we'll get married. And then 10 years later, you're going to die. Right. And then I'm going to raise them by myself. I don't think your parents may, it was an accidental that you're being raised by one parent, but so-called gay adoption, it is purposeful. It's willful that this child will never, never by our own design, by our own volition, will never have a mother or will never have a father. We deny this child that, which is so essential for its upbringing, so essential for its well-being, so essential for that child's value. We purposely deny. That's why I can call that a form of child abuse because it's selfish. It is. It's selfish. It's looking at children as what can they provide our couple what can they provide our relationship instead of what can we provide them? What can we give to them? And maybe what if the best thing to give to them is both a mother and a father, a husband and wife married together, raising the most stable new citizens that they can. So people, I need your help. The church needs your help. Christianity needs your help. America needs your help because we need to start teaching this truth and defending marriage and also defending celibacy. We need to defend marriage so that we can have the most stable, the most productive, the most well-developed children that we can. And the proven method for that is that we fulfill God's purpose within us to have children inside a marriage that is committed, fertile, and permanent. And to strengthen marriage brings about the best children, is the best thing for the children. Because again, the government is trying to create something new. And we have to tell the government, listen, whatever you're doing, it's not the sacrament of marriage. It's not God's plan for marriage. So you need to call it somebody else, something else. If what it is, is just trying to make sure that people have medical coverage, that's that people in a relationship have medical coverage. If somebody needs rights to visit somebody at the nursing home or at the hospital room or something like that, then call it something else. But marriage can only be recognized between a man and a woman, because that is the way God made us. And I referred to it before, but think of the Voyager spacecraft. Voyager spacecraft was sent out and a gold plaque was put on it to say, this is who we are, space aliens. If ever space aliens find this, this is who we are. We live on this third planet from the sun. This is our math. This is our language. And this is who we are. And there's a naked woman, a naked man etched onto that gold saying, this is who we are. One Species, two genders destined for each other. This is the way God made us. And I wonder, this is who we are in our innermost essence. One species, two genders destined for each other. But I wonder if we made that same plaque now, what would it be? Would it be a man and a man on there? A woman and a woman? A woman and seven men? A man and seven women, one woman, one man, one woman. I mean, 
how many different combinations could we come up with now and to say, this is how we see ourselves. Instead, we didn't do that. We said we are one species with two genders destined for each other, the way God created us to be. And we needed to continue to defend that. Not that we're against anybody, not that we are angry with anybody. The Bible does not condemn homosexuals. Nowhere in the Bible does it condemn homosexuals. It condemns homosexual practice, the act, acting out on homosexuality. That's what it condemns. The same way it condemns those who have sex before marriage, the same way it condemns those who engage in pornography, the same way it condemns those who commit adultery. The acts are condemned. While God loves the sinner, he hates the sin. So we need to always remind ourselves of that and always aim and ask God for the gift of chastity. And I said before that I also need your help defending celibacy. Celibacy is under attack. Celibacy is the last defense of Western civilization. What do I mean by that? Because we are told that we must act out our sexual drive. We must act out our sexual attraction. And we are told that it is impossible. Celibacy is the only thing standing in between that teaching. Because celibacy says, no, you can redirect your sexuality and give it to God. You can surrender it to God. Just as it said in Matthew, because some have renounced marriage for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. They're not engaging in sexual activity outside of marriage. They have renounced any type of sexual intimacy. And it's been proven millions and millions of times in Catholic priests and Catholic nuns and Catholic monks. People want to say, well, what about this priest or that nun? They left. They couldn't handle it. They couldn't. So therefore it proves that it isn't true. You can't do it. That's an exception. But the vast majority, it's like pointing out one person in a hundred. One of them falls, but the other 99 stay true to their call of celibacy, to chastity. So that is totally possible, and it's been proved time and time again. But if we believe the culture, the culture says to be celibate is to be perverted. Or as I read in one article, a guy said, a call to celibacy, to call homosexuals to celibacy is to call people to love less. Wow. Did Jesus love less? Did St. Paul love less? No. Instead, celibacy is a call to love more. Celibacy is the gift of undivided heart. Who will I serve, my, my sexuality or God? Celibacy says, I choose God. I choose him. I must follow him. Doesn't mean you cease to have sexual attraction. It means that you don't act on it. And instead, you only act for the glory of God. So that's entirely possible. And it's been true for hundreds of years throughout the whole world. Yet people are saying it's impossible. It's not impossible. It's totally possible with God's help. And for homosexuals out there listening, the only answer to your problem is a committed life of chastity, celibacy.
as the only answer. As a celibate priest, I don't consider it a death sentence. I don't think I'm condemning you to the gulag to live in a loveless life. I'm asking you to love more. I'm asking you to love beyond your sexuality, beyond sexual intimacy. I'm asking you because God's asking you to live a life dedicated to him, to loving everyone. You know, I had a gay couple ask me, well, you can't help who you love. And I responded, true. You can't help who you love, but you can help who you have sex with. I love everybody, and I don't have sex with any of them. To be called to celibacy is to be called to love more, not less. So we have to defend celibacy, because once we lose celibacy, then we're going to lose marriage. And if we don't have anybody living a life of celibacy, if we have fewer and fewer priests, fewer and fewer nuns, fewer and fewer committed single people dedicated to chastity, then once that's eroded away, marriage will cease because marriage will just be license, license to act upon whatever your sexual appetite is. And as song I like says, my appetite ain't got no heart. We always have to fight against our appetite. A married man has to fight against his appetite. A married woman has to fight against her appetite. The homosexual has to fight against their appetite because our appetite ain't got no heart. But if we place our heart with the Lord and say, Lord, with you, all things are possible. Give me your chastity today. Give me your purity today. I rest not on my own, my own fragile self, but I rest in your heart and I draw my strength from you. I want to remind everybody to pray for their priests and to support the faith wherever you find it. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for tuning into Double-Edged Sword, Cutting to the Heart of a Deceptive Culture. If you're a business or service that can support this Double-Edged Sword show, please note that your underwriting will run three times during this show, which runs five times a week. Plus, it's affordable, only $100 per month. Interested? Call 785-621-4110. You're listening to Divine Mercy Radio. If today you hear His voice, harden not your heart.